is I talk really fast when I get excited. <laughs> I made it clear to the first service of this. Uh, thankfully, for this service, unlike the first service, my wife is over there setting, so she'll give me the proper hand motion. So if you see her doing this and doing that, she's not feeling the spirit. She's just trying to tell me to calm down just a little bit. Second confession is I'm a huge swayer. So I was very thankful when I got up here this morning and saw the chair because the problem is I tend to back and forth like that. I'd love to blame it on the fact that I have two girls and I just hold them every night and rock them and that's why it is. But I've done that for as long as I can remember. So I have this. So instead of rocking, you'll see this back and forth. So there you go. There's that. So if you have motion sickness, please take your Dramamine. You'll need it. All right. So let's pray and then we'll just jump right on in. God, I just love you so much. I'm just so grateful for the opportunity I have just to open your word and share it. I'm just so grateful for just the staff here, God, just their love for you. So evident. I just thank you for their encouragement. They've been in my life. I thank you for them just helping me grow into the man of God that you've created me to be. God, I just thank you for this church family who's loved my family and encouraged my family since day one. We're so grateful. God, I pray that you'll be with this service today, God. Just help it not be just me speaking, God, but you speaking through me. And God, help me not to make it about me, but make it all about you and for your glory and for your honor. And just now we pray. Amen. I didn't want to start off giving a just a huge thanks. I'm just so grateful for, for Matt and uh, Dana and his family. First of all, they have been, as Matt said, just our family. They've really been our home away from home. I don't want to go into detail because I don't want to just tear up like Matt did and trying to <laughs> keep it together. But we're just so grateful. I never forget um, after we moved to uh, Cary 2010 for my wife's job, she got a job at the convention. So we moved to Cary and we uh, went to the creek. A lot of people were recommending the creek. They went there at the time, and um, they would go to the convention. So we went to the creek, and their very first Sunday at the creek, we immediately fell in love with Matt and his family and just the church family, and we've called it our home. And I'll never forget, shortly, just after that few months, uh, me and Matt met for breakfast at Chick-fil-A. At that time, it was his office. He had all of his meetings at Chick-fil-A there. <laughs> they knew him very well. But uh, we met one morning, and i never forget when um, he looked at me and just he said, well, Fergie, um, what can I do for you? And I'm thinking, I have no idea. You, you brought me breakfast, so I'm good, you know, so. But, um, but I remember him looking at me, and I, and I remember him telling me, you know, I know what I could do, and I want to uh, be your mentor. And he has been ever since. And it's been such a pleasant experience and just such a rewarding experience for me. I've grown so much um, because of him. And he just thanked us for pouring the gospel into uh, his kids, but really he poured the gospel into me and my family, and uh, we are so grateful for that. Not only grateful for him, I'm really grateful for, um, for Brian. I'll share more of my experience later, but um, it's been just a, a crazy year of just waiting on the Lord, strongly feeling God's calling in a full-time ministry, and just really just waiting, but we really experienced in that time a lot of, uh, a lot of man's rejection, and we know that now as God's protection, but it was a lot of rejection. I'll never forget in October, particularly one day, we had just gotten the uh, uh, no uh, rejection from a church. And I'll never forget when Brian emailed out and just said that they would love for me to come on as an intern at the church, that uh, they don't want me to wait on the sidelines, but really just to dig in and just start serving God. And I have benefited so much from that internship and just looked forward to my Tuesdays at staff meeting with them and learning. And we, have, we laugh a lot, <laughs> but we definitely... I've learned, grown a lot. One thing's evident, it's just um, all the staff, it's just heart for the Lord, heart for you guys, and just a heart for the gospel has just been so encouraging to me in my life and to, to be a part of. Well, 
Well, you're going to be in Proverbs, as you can tell behind. We're in Proverbs, wise up. If you didn't know we're in Proverbs by now, you really need to come to church more because we've been here for several, several weeks. But if you could turn to Proverbs 15, we'll uh, be in Proverbs 15, 13 through 15. And while you're doing that, while we're in the wisdom literature, and we're talking about wisdom, I want to share with you a little story about something not so wise. Uh, I grew up in a family of five. Uh, it's my mom and dad, my brother Tully, and my, uh, me and my sister Courtney. Now, you heard the name Tully right off the bat, and you're probably thinking, well, that right there doesn't sound very wise. I never heard of a name Tully before. But um, so I have a brother named uh, Tully, and now my dad is a huge wrestling fan, some of the older generation, and like Brian himself. <laughs> Sorry, I did that to you twice. But um, basically, there's a wrestler named Tully Blanchard, original four horsemen. My dad, henceforth, named Tully Tully, after Tully Blanchard, the wrestler. Needless to say, he didn't get to name me or my sister, so that right there, not very wise. <laughs> but I'll tell you a little story. Growing up, we used to watch a lot of movies together, me and my brother and my sister. We watched a movie particularly a lot, Home Alone. Now, I know we watched the movie a lot because I think my parents just wanted us to take a little break. So, hey, just sit down and watch this while we get a little peace and quiet. <laughs> but we watched Home Alone. How many of y'all have seen Home Alone? Anybody? Anybody? All right. Better than the first service. If you haven't seen it by now, you really got to get out more because it's been around like 25 years. But the center of the movie, about a uh, boy named Kevin, uh, Kevin McAllister, played by Macaulay Culkin. And then uh, what you see in the movie is really the title says it all. He was home alone. So his parents left him, went on a trip. They forgot about him. They're in a rush. So they left. He gets up. He's home alone. And then the plot thickens as two burglars enter the scene. And so you got two burglars that kind of pop in the picture. And so what Kevin decides to do is he's going to booby trap the house and get them, you know, take care of the burglars. So he does that. And as you see through the house, uh, all through the house, they go through the house and they get, you know, beaten, banged up by all of his distractions and booby traps. He sit all through the house. Well, now they come to part where they're gaining on them. So they're gaining on them and they decide they're going to go, he's going to go out the upstairs window. There's a cable wire that goes from the house to his treehouse. I don't know if you remember that part in the movie. He jumps over, he slides across right into the treehouse. Well, we were outside playing shortly after the movie, and I don't know if they do that here, but, but down south, they have the wires sometimes that will go from the ground up to the house. So it's like a diagonal. So instead of just going across way up where you can't reach it, you could touch them for quite a while until it loses grasp. Well, my brother thought, well, I'm going to pull a Kevin McAllister. So he gets the biggest tree limb he could find. And I don't know what he was thinking because, um, first of all, he was going up the, up the wire, which I don't know what he was thinking because he went across. But anyways, that's another story. But so he throws, the, he throws the limb across the wire and immediately, snap, the wire goes off the house. We were without electricity for two to three days, and my parents were very irritated. Needless to say, not very wise. But we're going to be talking about wisdom today, and we're in Proverbs of Wisdom Literature. So I'll start out, and then uh, we'll get going. Let's read together. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Okay. So today, we're going to be really, I'm going to ask three questions, and we're going to answer them as well. We're going to go verse by verse and kind of look through and, and go through the questions today. So the very first question I have is, what is a glad heart? 
So let's, let's look at uh, verse 13 again. We know what it makes. It says, a glad heart makes a cheerful face. So that's a result of a glad heart. But what is a glad heart? Well, to figure that out, you need to go all the way back to the very beginning. So you go all the way back to Genesis 1.1, and it says, in the beginning, God. So in the beginning, it's always been about God. So what you see here is a, a glad heart is one, is one that is rooted in the purpose of God. When that is rooted in the purpose of God. So you go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 1.1. You see that God's always been about his purpose, even through creation, through the birds, through the trees. He created everything. And then even especially in human beings, the climax of the story, when he created Adam and Eve. And what you see in that creation was he created them to really enjoy him and enjoy his goodness, just to worship and glorify him forever. They were living in this garden. It was just great with all this great delicious fruit and just enjoy each other and, and him. That's why they were created, just to worship and glorify him. The problem was, is when Eve ate and Adam ate as well of the one tree that God told them not to eat from, then sin entered the world. So ever since then, the culture shifted. So it's no longer been about the worship and glorification of God. It's really turned into the worship and glorification of self. It's always consumer-driven, me-centered. It's all me, 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 me. And we take the mindset that, you know, God just wants me to be happy. That's why he created me, to be happy. And if I'm happy, then he's happy. And if I'm not happy, then he's not happy. So I need to tell him, you know, listen, this didn't come through. You didn't do this for me. You were supposed to do that. And we begin to get that entitlement issue where we're just, it's all about us. And that's not why he created us. He created us for his purpose. He designed us for his purpose. He'd be rooted in his purpose. So what you begin to see from the very beginning, you see the purpose of God. It's rooted in the purpose of God, a.k.a. we call this joy. And so what happens, what we begin to see is circumstances do not determine our joy. And when we understand that, we see that everything changes. Now, some of you youth, I'm glad y'all are here this service because the second service, like two people raise their hand when I'm about to say, how many of y'all know Lecrae? Lecrae? Thank y'all. Y'all are awesome. See, I knew they would know. But Lecrae, the ones that y'all did know, it's because you have the youth down front. You're the parents of them. Okay, so back to Lecrae, the good stuff. All right, so Lecrae, he's a Christian rapper for you who doesn't know. He's also a theologian. And he really just has statuses he posts all the time on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter that I really just follow and really learn a lot from. And one status he put the other day, this week actually, he says, I'm not sure if today's going to be a good day, but I am sure that no circumstances in it can take away my joy. So I just thought that was just amazing because that's really where we find ourselves, to understand that no circumstances in that day can take away our joy because our joy is found in our circumstances, it's found in God. Nothing that we do is found in God. It's all rooted in Him. And we really see that when we grasp that, then our outlook on sorrow changes completely. Look at this last part of the verse. But by the sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. Okay, now this verse is not saying you're never going to experience sorrow. Unfortunately, sorrow is inevitable. It's going to happen. You know, maybe you have a marriage that's on the rocks. Maybe you're dealing with um, a rebellious just child or teenager that's just not listening, obeying, or out just trying to figure out life on their own. Maybe, you know, you lost your job. Maybe, you know, all these things happen, um, different situations that come up that you just really just struggle with, and you let these circumstances take away your, your joy. You really get sorrow and, and boggled down. The thing that's telling you, though, the sorrow, yes, it's going to happen. But even your sorrow has a purpose. God even has a sorrow for your purpose. 
Now you may never see that. You may never see that on this earth. You may never understand it, but he has a purpose and he's working and gonna use that. Even if you don't see it now, maybe a year down the road, years down the road, but he's working, he's moving. He's got a plan for you. So rest assured that your, your circumstances, they're not determining your joy. Your joy is in God. You understand that you're not phased by your sorrow because you know even the sorrow he's using it. I just wanna take this time to be, and just say, it's been a hard year, a hard year for me and Ashley and you know, our family in general. And we're so grateful for all the ones who walked through it with us. But not only has it been a, to understand the hard year, you really have to go back and really understand the uh, years in general. So back, we started dating Blue Mountain College, came college sweetheart, so to speak. We got, 2009 was a crazy year for us. We got um, graduated college in May of 2009, got married in June of 2009, and we moved up here in August 2009. It was a whirlwind of a summer. And really we moved up here because we strongly felt God's calling, both of us did in full-time ministry. We wanted to go to seminary. We actually tried to stay back a little bit, but he shut the doors and we knew he was calling us to seminary, so we left. So we moved up to Wake Forest in August 2009. Now, we moved up here with no jobs, no prospects, just completely faith, we took the leap. Now, a few days later, a week or two, you begin to realize that no jobs equals no money. So we're out of money. So we didn't have no money. And we're like, oh man, what is guy gonna do? How are we gonna get through this? So we, thankfully he blessed us with jobs. They weren't the most glamorous jobs. I started working third shift at Walmart overnight. Ashley was doing two or three jobs herself with Macy's and tutoring, but we got through it. Well, after the end of that year, after we were both in, and um, just going to seminary, actually we're both going to seminary full time. So after both going to seminary full time, Ashley came to me one day at the, second, the end of the second semester and she began to tell me that um, the Holy Spirit had laid on her heart to withdraw from seminary and to begin to support uh, my ministry. Now this was nothing we've really even talked about before. Basically what was happening was Ashley's degree was going to biblical languages to another country. And here I am doing student ministry and want to do student ministry full time. We were not sure how that was going to work out, <laughs> but we knew that God would work it out. And sure enough, he did. He, I never forget it when Ashley came to me that day. So she withdrew from seminary. And about, the, I think maybe even that same day, maybe a day later, she applied for the Baptist State Convention in North Carolina. And I remember her after she applied, maybe an hour or two after, she was like, Chris, I know I'm going to get this job. It may sound crazy, but I know this is what God was doing all along. And sure enough, she got hired by that man over there, Noeller. <laughs> but she got hired, and she's been there for about uh, over four years, and a little over four years, and got hired there. So then that's when we started going to the creek and came to Carrie and fell in with Carrie and just started doing the thing. Well, fast forward a little bit, and now it comes up the last... So we go up to graduation, and so about the final year is when I really start applying for churches. Now, even though it's a calling, it's a ministry, it's still like every other position where they really, you send your resume in, and they go through and all that, and um, so I start doing that, and really, one after another, felt like doors were kind of opening. There's one church in uh, Missouri, and then we got to the final two. I'm not sure what that really even means, but we got to the final two, and God shut that door. Another door is opening in, uh, in South, Carolina, uh, South Carolina that we thought, and God shut that door. And then another door in Memphis, God shut that door. And then another door in Asheville, shut that door. I can do this all day. But, uh, but no, one after another, doors were shutting. And um, it was just hard. We really got to the point where we really just wanted to give up. It was really the point to where we started losing faith a little bit. It was where I was working at Home Depot and 
things were really going well there and they said they were even considering me for management positions and I said well maybe that's what we should just do just give up on this all together pursue management positions but and then just forget about it but little did we know that God was working all along and we can't even see it I'm um, back in November we got a call from a church in Clinton Alabama now Ashley is from Alabama she's from Huntsville Alabama and so the call was unusual because we never sent our resumes to any churches in Alabama. We did that because Ashley told me, hey, we're not going back to Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, she's eating those words now. But so this church calls me and they, and they start talking to me and he tells me, the pastor called me. He begins to tell me that they have 150 people who, uh, who apply the resumes and to be honest, they weren't even sure how they got mine, but they narrowed it down to 25. I was one of the 25. I was like, okay, great. That really didn't mean anything to me at the time. So I was just like, okay, that's fine. So then surely, uh, slowly but surely, one after another, the committee members, the youth committee guys, they were calling me, meet and greet, just kind of interview me a little bit. And in January, one was actually supposed to call. I'd already had an interview and sent uh, samples of me teaching and preaching and different things to them. And once was the call, well, about that time during the Christmas break, a church in Asheville, the process has started getting faster and getting more involved. And so I shut that door with Clinton. And so I just said, you know what? I feel God leading this direction and shut it. And so they told me, you know, at the end of the phone call, they were like, well, if this opens back up, you know, if, if, if something happens and, you know, you change your mind, then, then, let us, then let us know if this falls through. And I said, absolutely, I will. Well, about four weeks went by and I never even heard anything from Asheville. So I called them and they proceeded to tell me, hey, we're actually interviewing other people. So, and, you know, hey, that could have been information helpful to me, you know, three weeks ago. But nonetheless, they're pursuing other people. So I immediately call, um, I immediately email the uh, youth committee at the church. They graciously threw my name back into the, uh, the hat and the rest is kind of history. The rest of the committee members called me and I spoke to all five of them, had a few interviews. The pastor called me and then we went down and the rest is kind of history. And, what, and I share you that story, not to just bore you to death or not just to make it all about me, but I'm really doing this to let you see how God was working. We didn't even realize it. He was working in ways we couldn't understand. We didn't even see he was doing something. Even in the midst of what we thought was sorrow and our circumstances were not looking too good at all, he was working. And what we begin to realize is, you know what? Our joy is not found you know, in our circumstances. It's found in God. And he's working even when you can't see that. So let's keep going. So we got, what is a glad heart? And we know that it's one that is deeply rooted in the purpose of God. Let's look at verse 14 for the next question. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. All right, so the second question, how do I get this joy? If, you know, if, if a glad heart is one deeply rooted in God, we call it joy. Well, then how do I get this joy? By the way, that's a great question. I'm really glad you asked it. And so really, the, the, it tells you clearly in this verse, it says, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. Okay, so how do I get this joy? You seek knowledge. Now, me and Neil Eller, um, we actually meet every week. I've been so grateful for our time. He has been a mentor to me for the last year and a half or so. We, he gets up very early for, um, for my benefit. We meet 6.30 days very, but once a week at Starbucks. And we were talking this past week, I was sharing with him a little bit about the, about the sermon and just where I was going and, and what God's laid on my heart. And he started telling me about when um, he got to meet Dallas Willard a few years ago, and they got to sit down, and, and I don't know if you know this about Neil, he's a huge learner, he writes notes like a madman, and he keeps them, and uh, he was just sharing me some notes that he learned, and one thing that he said, direct quote from Dallas Willard that I thought was just so great was he said, knowledge is an interactive relationship, 
in our relationships. If you take that, if you go to verse 14, you say, the heart of him who has understanding seeks an interactive relationship. Okay, well, interactive relationship with who? With God. So that's foremost. If you're gonna understand knowledge, if you're gonna have knowledge, you, it's impossible without a relationship with God. So let's go back again. Let's go back to Genesis 1.1. You see, God created everything. In the beginning, God, God, he created everything. He created the birds, the trees. He created man and woman. We just talked about he created Adam and Eve. He created them to worship and glorify them forever. When then he gave them one rule, do not eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Well, guess what? They did. And then when they did that, that's when sin entered the world. And ever since then, we are in need of a savior. And you see great men and women in the Bible that people use. There's just one problem with these great men and women. They all had their flaws. They all had their sins just like we did. So you see prophets, you see kings, judges, name them all. Even how great of a people they were, they all had sin issues. And so only one person could really be the ultimate savior, and that was Jesus. So God sends Jesus, born of Virgin Mary, to come and live a perfect life, to die on the cross for us. And thank goodness he didn't just die. But he rose again three days later, now seated at the right hand of God, and he desires a relationship with us. So to understand knowledge, you're never going to understand without an interact relationship with God. That's what knowledge is, interact relationship. In this case, interact relationship with God. And so what else is it? What, you, got the, you got that it's interact relationship, relationship with God. Well, then what else is it? It's also the Holy Spirit. Don't forget about the Holy Spirit. If you're going to have knowledge, you really, the Holy Spirit is left. So once you give relationship with God, once you become a believer... Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. I love how Brian did a sermon series on the Holy Spirit several weeks ago, a great sermon series, and he just laid out really the role of the Holy Spirit. And one thing you see all throughout Scripture, especially the New Testament, the main role of the Holy Spirit is to be your guide and to be your helper. That's, that's the main role. And a lot of times we discredit that, you know, that tingling feeling you get with the, to really share the gospel. You feel like something's tearing you to share the gospel with, the, with a person or you feel like a tingling feeling you get when you, sh- you know you shouldn't be doing what you're doing, so you stop, and all these different feelings, that's the Holy Spirit. That's not just, oh, I just decided not to do that. No, that's the Holy Spirit guiding you, helping you, trying to guide you to make those decisions, letting you know this is what you should be doing, that you should really talk to this person. A lot of times we discredit that, but that's the Holy Spirit leading. So not only do you have a relationship with God, you have the Holy Spirit for knowledge, you also have the Word of God. Now, I love when Matt Hutton preached a few weeks ago, it really challenged me. God really used the sermon to convict me. One thing he said was it's so sad that we know, you know, our sports teams and stocks and all these things more than we know the word of God. Now, knowledge is active, not passive. So it's not just you read, 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 and then you get knowledge. The kicker is you read the word of God, but then you actually apply it. You actually apply it to your life. You read, you apply it. If you're going to know who God is, you're going to know who Jesus is, what they've done for you, you got to read it. But it's not enough just to know. Now you got to live like it. Now you got to live like Jesus. Now you have to actually apply what you've read and live like it. Finally, and I didn't get paid. Oh, I don't get paid hardly anything, a little bit, <laughs> internship. But I didn't get asked to do this. But I'm going to do a plug for life groups because the final thing is community with other believers. That's so important because this, even being a believer, life is hard enough. They come through different circumstances. As we talked about, even though circumstances do come up, there's times of sorrow that come up and you really need encouragement. You need support. You need prayer. You need just love. And you get that so much in a life group when you're in community with other believers. Me and uh, Ashley have been a part of small groups now at the Creek and here for like four or five years. And we learned and grew so much from that, from being prayed over and and being loved on. And you really need to uh, get in a life group. They're being fellowship. It's not enough 
just to come to church once a week and, and see everybody, hey, that's enough. You really need that to get through the difficulty just of, of everyday life. And so let's go to the, um, the final thing here. So we said, what is joy? We got, what is a glad heart? We got one that's deeply rooted in the purpose of God. Well, then we call it joy. How do I get the joy? You seek knowledge. So what's the final thing? What is the key to maintaining this joy? Well, how do I maintain this joy? Well, let's look at verse 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. All right, so let's talk about continually feasting for a second there. I am from a small town, Clarksdale, Mississippi. As I told the first service, the only thing that Clarksdale really has, the biggest thing is the Super Walmart. In fact, they didn't get the Super Walmart until my senior year of high school. They actually let out school early, half a day, just so we could go to Super Walmart. So it was that big of a deal. It was a big deal that we got a Super Walmart. So I'm from this small town, and then my grandparents, were, uh, both families grew up there. My, mom's, uh, my mom grew up there. My dad grew up there, and so their families are still there. And uh, so my grandparents, my dad's parents, and my mom's parents, they actually lived on the same street, which, I mean, I guess I couldn't expect anything less because there's like three streets in Clarksdale, but they lived on the same street like five blocks. So every holiday, we would always have to do both. You can't go one without the other. So Thanksgiving, we'd always do lunch at, um, at my nanny's house, my mom's mom, and we'd eat, eat, eat until we can't eat any more, and then we'd go to my other grandparents and eat some more. And so we continually feasted. So I'm not talking about continually feasting on food, but really continually feasting on God. That's the key, continually feasting on God. And one thing I want to share with you for a minute, and um, me and Ashley, we were in uh, college. We went to Blue Mountain College. There was a BSU counseled, which is Baptist Student Union. We were both on council there. Actually, Ashley was the BSU state president her senior year. But our BSU director, which we love dearly and still have a relationship with to this day, um, she really poured into us, and we started, if you're on council, you really had to meet with her once a week. So you met with her for an hour once a week. You really quoted uh, scripture. We had to memorize John 15, and then she take you through what you call the Habitudes. And this Habitudes is by Tim L. Moore. He has several books, but there's one Habitude in particular that really just stood out to me as I was preparing that really impacted me that I kind of want to share with you a little bit about so he does this habitude, and uh, it's called thermostat versus thermometer. But so basically, he begins to tell the difference between a thermometer and thermostat. So for thermometer, thermometer hanging outside on our back patio that told us the temperature is what it was outside. Okay, so thermometer tells you what the temperature is. Okay, well then the thermostat sets the temperature. The thermometer only reflected what the temperature was. Okay. And let me just share with you what he says, and it's so great. Most people are like thermometers. They tend to reflect the culture around them. They buy things that others buy, say things that others say, wear things that others wear, and value things that others value. Oh, there are slight variations, but most people don't set the climate from the world they live in. They just mirror back that climate. Leaders, on the other hand, are people who decide to take life to the next level. They become thermostats and set the social climate in which they are placed. So what does that mean? Like, Chris, you just gave me that description. What does that mean? That means we really, as believers, as followers of Christ, need to be thermostats. We set the temperature around us. We set the climate around us. It's not a matter of just becoming like we let the circumstances determine let the world, have the world's view on a glad heart, determine how we view the glad heart. We let, you know, if we have a bigger house, a bigger car, and a better job, that's our glad heart. That's the world's view of a glad heart. That's the world's view of happiness. But clearly, 
It's totally different, God's view. And that's the purpose of him. A glad heart is one that is rooted in him. So when we get that, then we need to become thermostats. We set that for the climate around us. We reflect God. We reflect why we were created, which is for the purpose of God. And everything changes. Now, you may be looking at me and just thinking, well, Chris, you don't understand. It's easy to say what a glad heart is. It's easy to say, you know, well, circumstances don't determine your joy. It's easy to say you should continually feast on God. But you don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand the, the struggles I've faced, what, what my family's going through. You don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't understand it. Well, I may not. That's true. I may not. But God does. And I want to read with you a little bit from Matthew 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's Matthew 6, 25 through 33. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet are your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So what does that tell you? Seek God. Seek God. Don't look for your happiness in circumstances. Don't look for your joy in things of the world, but find it in God. Continually feast on God. Um, as the band is about to come up, I really want to share with you a little bit. Um, I actually asked Bill a few weeks ago, we were talking back and forth, and I told him I would really love for them to close. Well, we've decided to close, which that was just up to his genius. But um, never once has really been a song that's really impacted me and my family during this time, of, uh, this season, this, this confusion, wondering what God was doing. This song is really just a great reminder that really, you know, even in your circumstances, even what you're going through, that you're not walking alone. He's with you. He's faithfully right there. Never once did he leave you on your own. He's faithful. It's been a great reminder for me, and I hope it is um, for you. And again, just thank you for the opportunity to be able to share with you guys. Let's pray. And the band will come up. God, I just thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for what you taught me. I thank you for the reminder, God, of just where my joy comes from. It's not circumstances, God, but it should be found in you. God, I just thank you for the relationship that I have with you. I thank you for the chance I have just to be able to call you um, my father, and I'm so grateful. God, I'm just um, praying uh, for the reminder, I'm thankful for the reminder that continually feast on you. God, we know this feast is a, the daily feasting. God, it's not just a one time, but daily feasting. God, we know our hearts are wicked, our hearts are deceitful, they're prone to wander, but God, we know that we should hold fast to you, God. And as the, as the band just sings, God, I'm just so thankful and reminded for the never once, God, you are faithful. And we never walk along because you are with us. God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.